Thanks again for listening to the Park Hills Podcast. If you want more info on the things we're doing, go to parkhillschurch.com or the Park Hills Church app. I've started calling you Pastor Mark. Have you noticed this? <laughs> I have noticed it. It's hilarious. Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> and in in all, you know, in every regard, you are a pastoral resident. Mm-hmm. So especially when you're talking to the younger kids at the Winnebago campus, I love calling you Pastor Mark and watching <laughs> them all go, interesting. They have no clue what either of them really are. Correct. So... I don't know that most people do. I think that's probably that's, at least one little s, <laughs> one little part of this episode probably needs to be, what does a pastor really do? But we'll come back to that. So I think when we when we think through First Timothy four, uh, that is the passage, right? First mm-hmm. Timothy four, eleven through sixteen. Yes. The the idea that Paul would be passing on his spirituality to a disciple, I think is really the heart of this entire series. Right. So the idea that you're mentoring someone or working with them and you're asking them, come do as I do, come follow, come be a part of what I'm doing, is really the key at the heart of it all. So I'm excited about this episode because we get a chance to sort of dive into all of those different facets and kind of play with some ideas and, and talk about it and parenting, that kind of thing. But first, the, you know, I think we have a great lineup here, some things to talk to. But what are some fantastic ways that your spiritual parents challenged you? That's a really tough question. <laughs> They're all tough. Um, and you're the one that asked it. That's the best I know, part. So. I know. Um, yeah, I'm regretting asking it. No, I'm kidding. I'm not. <laughs> um, I had some, well, I still have some fantastic spiritual parents, different people along the way. Um, and a lot of the most challenging things came as complete, completely random comments they made uh, that came across as a slap in the face sure. or even a challenge of something to do. Um, I can think of a moment, this was actually just last January. I was with uh, a spiritual parent who I don't interact a ton with anymore, but every once in a while, once a year maybe, we catch up. Um, and I was just sitting with him in a McDonald's drive through at 1130 at night. And it was very clear that the people working there were very close to closing, were very unhappy that we were there. And the, <laughs> the interaction at the drive-thru um, ordering screen was tense. And then we rolled up to the window, and he just broke into this conversation, loving the people there. And I'm sitting there watching all this unfold. Mm-hmm. And he paid. They went in or, or away from the window to get the food. And he just turned to me and goes, he goes, you have an hour to, to spare? I was like, yes. And he goes, what if we go in and help them clean up and, and see what we can do, whether we mop a floor or something? And I, I sat there going, all right, I'm in. And, and we asked, and they did not agree to let us help, right. which is probably smart because us with mops and buckets would have been sure. a lot more fun and potentially dangerous. <laughs> but at the same time, they were so appreciative of the fact that we saw, yeah. or specifically that he saw, yeah. and cared and and that I've wrestled with that over the last few months going yeah huh what a fantastic way and yeah. he wasn't even intentionally trying to teach me in that moment no he was just watching the way he lives and the way he follows Jesus 
So a lot of what parenting is is yeah. example parenting. Yeah, that, that cut down your chance of being fit on your burger 90 percent <laughs> or more. Very true. I love it. That's so great, and I I think that's the big thing for me too. You know, the question: What are some fantastic ways that your spiritual parents have challenged you? The, sure, there's been things that I've been told, such as, you know, take take this journey seriously. Don't cut any corners. You know, I had one uh, professor slash spiritual parent who once told me, you know, what you do on your own. You know, I had one mentor tell me, at, you're going to learn more at your kitchen table than you will in seminary. Mm. I loved that. That was, that mm-hmm. was Pastor Cliff. <clears throat> but one of my professors told me something similar. He just said, what you do at home is going to be who you are, not what you think you're learning or, or the things that you push in in school. So that's helpful. But then I think I think you're totally right. Some of the biggest impacts that I've had have been what they didn't tell me. It was what I watched them do. So someone mistreating them at a store and they treat them with love and respect. Mm-hmm. And I go, all right, I can do that too. You know, there's this idea that I know that my kids have watched me and they're just sort of like learning things from me along the way. And I don't even know that they're watching me until they say something. And then I go, oh, wow, you were watching that. But when I think about all the ways in which my spiritual parents have guided me and challenged me and pushed me, it's more often been the things that they, not the things they said, but the things they did. So I love that, that you're talking mm-hmm. about that, that cleanup thing. And I think about, you know, the times when I've watched, you know, one a couple of moments that pop in my head are, I've been with a spiritual parent when like a very attractive woman is walking down the street and I look over at them to see how they're going to respond and their eyes look away or look down and they don't even know I'm watching them. Do you know what I'm saying? And it's little Mm -hmm. things that I start to think through. And that's not to say that you can't like look at somebody walking down the street, but it's more people who are provocatively dressed perhaps, you know what I'm saying? And you, I, I think so much of those people when I go, man, they're really taking the Bible seriously. They're taking their own journey seriously. They're taking their marriage seriously, that they're going to try to avoid these things to sort of make it bad for them. And so I've just picked up all these things along the way that are really helpful. You know, the way that people talk to each other, the way that people uh, stop conflict in the office, right? Or, and I, and I just mean all the jobs I've worked, there's moments where things have to be diffused and watching a master spiritual parent do that is really, really cool. Okay. So with that said, I think one of the topics we need to talk about are what are some of the things, what are some of the ways in which people give us excuses as to why they can't parent well or why they can't disciple well? What are some things you've heard in your illustrious ministry career that's so long at this point? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've actually heard quite a lot. I'm um, sure you have. That's and I was joking about the, the long time of your career, but I know you've heard a lot because you've worked in children's ministry for years yeah. and you've worked in youth ministry for years. So what are some of the things you've heard from parents or from people that are saying, I can't do this? Yeah. Um, often one of the first ones is just, I, I don't know how. I have no idea how to parent. And some of that is true. Join the club. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> none of us know what we're doing. And, and we talked about this weeks ago with looking at we're not perfect parents. We're never going to be perfect parents. Right. But when we have someone who is the perfect parent, God himself, our father, we can learn from that example and, and go with it. Um, so I don't know how, either as an excuse, whether you don't actually know or whether you're avoiding learning how to do it, or you do know and are just avoiding mm-hmm. entirely. Or um, another great one is I don't have enough time 
Sure. I work a full-time job. I come home, I'm tired, or I come home and I have kids of my own. I have a family I'm taking care of or whatever builds into that idea that you're right. <laughs> we don't have endless hours to, to do this. So what are you going to do with the time you do have? And I, I mean, looking at the example of spiritual parents in the Bible, I mean, Paul, as he's parenting Timothy, we see moments as Paul is going around, he's taking care of churches, he's teaching them, he's uh, doing the the missionary journeys. There's still moments where we see him building a tent Mm -hmm. and you go, okay, what are you doing? But there's, he's doing other things to provide as he's going along. But at the same time, he's, he's making time. I mean, this, this idea of discipleship, if, if you're following Jesus, it, it starts to consume all of your life, and it just mm-hmm. bleeds in. Yeah, and I think if you're following Jesus, you start to think through your day differently, right? When you wake up in the morning, it's not just, what can I do for me today? It's, what do, what do I got, God? What am I going to give to you? How am I going to... And we don't get this right all the time, but you're, you're totally right. There are a lot of mornings where I wake up, and, and my thought is just, okay, what am I going to do today? I got a ton. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's go. And even if I made the excuse of, I don't have enough time... That's kind of ridiculous. And the first one you brought up, the I don't know how. I think it's so funny that the Christian life, especially, we're talking about disciple making or we're talking about parenting. You know, parents come to Jesus and they don't know how to do this. And their first response is, I don't know how to do this. And this is the only area in our (laughs) world that you're allowed to be going, I don't don't know how to do it and not have the expectation Mm -hmm. that you're going to put in some effort to figure out how to do it. I mean, just imagine if you were at a job, right? And I always love using this example, you know, McDonald's. So I start working at McDonald's tomorrow and I wake up, you know, and I go to work. And if I walked in there and they're like, I need you to, I need you to clean the, the fryer out. And I'm like, I don't know how. I need you to go ahead and I need you to put, it, put together a Big Mac. And I'm like, I don't know how. Uh, if, you know, I need you to go put the napkins in the dispenser. Oh, I just don't know. I don't know how to do it. That's a surefire way to get fired. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? And yeah. in every area of our life, you don't know how to do something. You learn how to do it. It's just mm-hmm. natural. It's just the way it's supposed to go. But for some reason, people give each other the excuse of like, well, I don't know how to do that. They're like, oh, yeah, that's right. You, you be you. you just, mm-hmm. I'll let you off the hook. It takes work. Like what's what we were made to do is to be workers who are supposed to do something. So if you don't know how, and I'm not uh, – this, this is coming across preacher than I mean it to. But pick up a book. Mm-hmm. Study God's word. Look at for the, you know, we've given you a great series already, I think, that is showing you ideas of what it looks like to follow God and how to do this well. There is no reason why. There's no excuse mm-hmm. for just getting involved, jumping in, and doing it. And there's fantastic books that are written that help us do this and all that kind of thing. Have you heard any others, you know, any other types of excuses that you can think of? Um, well, off of what you just said, it even with I don't know and you need to go learn and find out. We know amazing people have been following Jesus for years, decades even, who do know they've just never practiced it. So that's something to wrestle with and go, okay, do I actually know or at least know enough to take a couple steps and see where this ends up? And and you're not going to get it perfect. No. <laughs> and that's the encouraging thing about it because yeah, and, we're not expected to. Yeah, and you're totally right. I mean, in good companies – Back to that job illustration, good companies have a good on-ramp mm-hmm. to show somebody how to do X, Y, or Z, right? So 
you know, McDonald's, I don't know if they're really good at this, but I'm just going to assume since they have 8 billion employees and they've served 17 million thousand, you know, burgers in the world or whatever. I'm just coming up with random numbers. I have no reality. <laughs> uh, but, you know, there, there's clearly got to be some kind of training program that gets people to where they're going to get. Why in the world then would you think following Jesus just means I'm going to naturally figure this out and do it? You haven't done it your whole life. So when you start following Jesus, you're going to have to plug in a little bit and figure out how to do it. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to learn how. And I think the easiest way that, you know, a good manager at, say, a McDonald's would do this is they would put you with somebody who knows what they're doing, give you a couple of days of following them around to learn how to do it. So plug yourself into somebody that you really admire their parenting and have them disciple you, have, have them show you what they're, what they're doing. And, and if that person says to you, I'm not as good as you think I am, <laughs> tell them to stop because anything that you can learn from them is worth it. Right. And I think so often we make this discipleship thing so much scarier than it needs to be. It's really just, you know something, let me, te- let me teach that to you. Or I know, you know, you know something, teach it to me. Let, let me learn what you've got to give me. And I admire your parenting skills in this regard or this regard. So teach me what, what you got. You know, I mm-hmm. notice you don't get mad at your kids when they pull your hair. Okay. Why? What, what's going on there? And they might have an amazing story for you or I don't know, or whatever. All right. Parenting itself, tons of scripture. One of the scriptures we did not use that I, I, I always think about when I'm talking about parenting is Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. And we've talked about it before. That's one of the reasons why we didn't put it in this series. But I don't know that we've done a podcast on this on on that passage. And so I would love, okay, Parenting 101, what does it look like? Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. You got it there? Mm-hmm. Read it for us. Yeah. Let's go. So starting in verse 6, and this should sound familiar um, probably to many people who have spent some time. Um, but even if not, this is a super important passage um, to Jewish people. Yes. And in... in in their way of thinking through uh, through Scripture. So it says here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Sorry, I had trouble reading the last three no, words. No, it's okay. But So yeah, teach them. Right. Which also is setting up this cultural idea that to a Jew, you're going to know the word of God and then pass the word of God on to mm-hmm. other people which we have obviously taken that and then adopted it as Christians. And so that's why we do Sunday school. That's why we have discipleship. I, I hate to say the word programs, but this is why we have classes. This is why we do some of the things we do is because we're saying, okay, let's teach you the word of God. But it doesn't have to be that formal. It can be, mm-hmm. like I said, you're going to learn more sitting at your kitchen table than you're ever going to learn in a seminary. So dig in, spend the time. So as you read that passage, though, I think you have some really good advice for people. When you think of Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, what are, what are the big things you see jumping out for people to follow and do? Yeah, it, a lot of what this is saying is this should just permeate everything you're doing. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, even physical ways of remembering, like putting it on your doorposts, um, which these are very culturally Jewish things have been picked up where they physically put scripture on their doorpost or tie it to them, to their arm. And, and these are things that have been practiced. But at the same time, for us, it's the idea of 
this should be with you. You should be thinking about this. And when you get up, you're thinking about it. When you, when you lie down, you think about it. When, when you're walking, and it's this idea that you are constantly passing to the next generation. And that doesn't necessarily mean the next generation of, of kids, but to someone who's a little behind you in a sense. Mm-hmm. The parenting, you can parent someone who's 30 years older than you. It's the idea of, hey, I know this. I see where you're at. All right, let's, let me show, show you what I know. And I'm still learning and I'm still passing and you're still learning and you're, maybe you're teaching me something. It, yeah. <laughs> so some of this comes out of the time I've spent in children's ministry and watching and there's been an expectation. And in some ways this has gotten a lot better in the last few years and I've watched it. But in churches, specifically in our nation, the, the expectation is the church will teach my kids how to follow Jesus they're the main mode of teaching discipleship, right? which is sometimes, and I'm not saying this is all families, all parents, because it's not, but sometimes that has been the default when the reality is, no, you, you teach the children in your home, whether they're physical children, your own, or whether you're interacting with people as a, a spiritual parent. So you can't guarantee the way it'll go. No. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I think the idea of parents being the, the primary disciple makers of, of children is so true. And I've said this for years, and I, and I said it on a previous podcast a couple of weeks ago. The idea that you would think that we can do a better job of, of teaching your kids than you can is foolishness. Because we get, you know, most kids... Most people that, I, that I'm working with, I get two hours a week max, mm-hmm. and half of that is standing on a pulpit talking to them, not in a personal way. Right. So, <laughs> you know, there's no interaction. There's no actual discussion. I'm proclaiming the word of God like I was called to do, and that might be helpful to people, but it's not interactive. You're not growing. You're not actually learning how to do it, and I have no idea whether you're applying what you've heard or not. So that's not really disciple-making. But... I've said to people for years, the, the downside to that is if parents are the primary disciple makers, we have a lot of really bad disciple makers in the world. <laughs> and they're getting 140 hours a week with their children and they're giving them really bad advice or really bad views mm-hmm. of God or they're teaching them really horrible things. And the, the truth is that's, that's, that's so important for us to know. You are the primary disciple maker of your children. The church is going to be able to impact a small little portion of that. But that means you got to get up. You got to actually read your Bible. You got to pass it on. You got to spend some time doing what you're, what you've actually been called to do. And if you're saying, "Well, that's hard work," or "I don't know how," or "I haven't learned how to do that yet," or, or "I don't know where to go," find someone that does, or just get off your booty and go do something, <laughs> right? Or to put it another way, you know, you've got to actually jump in and do something. You've got to, you've got to realize that you've got a responsibility. That God made you for a purpose. Get up and do it. Yeah, yeah, and. So something we talk about a lot is the DDP or the description of yep. a disciple person. That's not just explaining discipleship, but also who we're supposed to be as disciples. So for you, as a very old man with white hair and white in his beard, who's Thank been you. parenting for a long time. Thank you. <laughs> parenting not just my own children for a very long time. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. But, but as you think through the DDP, what we talk about is discipleship. Yeah. 
how is that working as a guide to parenting? What are things we need to be thinking through? I think going back to the the idea, the origination of the DDP, and just, just so that we can define it here, because I know we've done this before, but I think people just need to keep hearing what this means. It's a description of a discipled person. And years ago, we were doing a disciple-making training for the church. It wasn't our church necessarily. It was church leaders in a room talking through what are the strategies, structures, and plans we're putting together that are going to help people in their journey with Jesus. Because there's an assumption made sometimes by church leaders, like, if I just preach the word, everything's going to be fine. That's sure. There's an element of that that's true because you're doing what God called you to do. But what if we created structures and systems and plans and had, had a purpose to what we're doing that we thought, man, if I know what the final product looks like, mm-hmm. I can build something that, that points people in this direction. Or another way that I put it in, in uh, you know, a podcast recently was, what ecosystem could I create? Or what, what, what environment can I create that allows someone to become a discipled person? Right. And if we have no goal we're shooting towards, we don't know what we're aiming for. <laughs> totally. And if your goal is, I want to preach to everybody on Sunday morning and then they're going to follow Jesus. That's a goal and you can accomplish it. Mm-hmm. But is you preaching on Sunday morning really going to change people's lives? And are people really going, you might be, I'm a great preacher. That's fantastic. I still doubt your ability in one half an hour to change someone's life when they have 168 hours in the week. So you're telling me that your half an hour of being on the stage or whatever is going to change the 167.5 hours that everybody else is going to do whatever. And you might say, well, I preach for two hours. Well, good for you. Okay, (laughs) fine. Okay, fine. So 166 hours elsewhere is not going to push back on what you're doing. So so the description of a discipled person, a DDP, is saying, okay, what do we want the product to look like? And with that said, how would you not pick that a discipled person looks like Jesus? Mm -hmm. Right? So it just starts to make sense. If you think about it, okay, so then what is Jesus modeling for us? What is he showing us it looks like to follow him? And that's where the six parts of the DDP come from. We, we love God and his word. And as a parent, it, it's impossible for me to make my children love someone or something. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, right. Y- you can't force your kids to love Brussels sprouts. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You can try. You can try. Right. It'll be on the window behind T- you. Typically, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> typically what our kids love and what most humans love are the things that are bad for them. Mm. Right? Yeah. So if that's true, then you need to create an environment that allows someone to grow toward loving someone rather than growing away from loving someone. So I'm not creating an environment that makes God a big jerk who tells everybody what to do. Mm -hmm. I'm creating an environment that says God is a loving parent who loves you so much that he's telling you the right way to do things. And whether you choose to follow him or not, that's your choice. But what ends up happening is your life falls apart when you don't follow him, but you honor him by following him. So what you're going to choose and creating an environment that lets me teach people what it looks like to love God and love his word is really important. And part of that for me is I need to parent in the sense of I need to love God's word more than anybody else (laughs) because then it becomes infectious and other people want to join me in that. And I love that I hear that from people the most. Your love for God's word makes me want to love God's word. Mike, let's go. I, I'm, I'm doing my job. That's fantastic. Love others. There is no better way for me to learn how to love others than to put myself in challenging situations where I'm meeting people who don't agree with me and having to learn their point of view, their expectation, 
and then find loving ways to push back and help guide them toward the position that I'm holding. Hmm. Right? Yeah. So sometimes that's my own children against each other, finding a way to help them sort out what compromise looks like. Do you know what I'm saying? And that could even be true for spiritual children or my actual children. But, but for me to teach how to love others, again, I can't force someone to love someone. But what I can create is an environment in which you start to realize it's better for me to love someone than to not love someone. And so let me just keep moving down these, you know, I'll move faster now that I've sort of set up the, that love idea. When I think about dependence on prayer, it is creating an environment that makes me realize I don't have it all figured out and I need someone bigger than me to be able to do this. When we're kids, that's our parent. Mm-hmm. But when you're not a kid or when you're just a follower of Jesus, that parent is God. So if I don't know what I'm supposed to do tomorrow, which I don't, how do I not spend time with him in prayer, becoming dependent on it in order for me to then follow through and ask him for what I'm supposed to do next? There's no better responsibility for me as a parent than to teach my kids, you can't do this on your own. Let God take over, right? Mm. Dependence on the Holy Spirit. It's a similar concept, but in here, you know, prayer is usually what I'm doing when I'm looking to, to do something. Or, or, and it's not like a genie. I'm, I'm praying to him because I want to be dependent on what he wants me to do. But the spirit is learning how to listen to his voice and stop myself. So there's moments where I'll be walking down the street just doing my thing. And all of a sudden, I just know God is telling me to go talk to that person. Even if I don't want to, if I go do it and I'm following his lead, it's going to go better for me than it wouldn't otherwise. Mm-hmm. So for me as a parent, you know, whether it's my own children or, or a spiritual person that I'm working with, it might be, hey, what's God telling you right now? And you're going, whoa, I feel like God's really asking me to do this. All right, great. How are you going to follow through on that? How are you going to do this? That teaches dependence on the spirit, right? You're learning how to actually listen to his voice, follow through and do it. And our last two, you know, live a life that bears fruit. I need to learn how to share the gospel so that I can bear fruit. Pretty basic. Mm -hmm. So that's me teaching the gospel to my children. Again, physical, my own physical children or the spiritual children that I'm discipling. I need to teach you how to share the gospel and it needs to just ooze out of me so that it'll ooze out of you as well. And then on top of that, for me to learn how to bear the fruit of the spirit better, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, those things need to just ooze out of me. So I need to look at my life and go, am I more loving today than I was then, more joyful, so on and so forth. And then the final one, live a life that is worship, means I don't just set an example for my kids on Sunday morning. It means I'm waking up, spending time with God, I'm praying, I'm worshiping him. Uh, You know, there's a lot of times where we're in the car and we're listening to music and I'm going, this is terrible music. Let's change it out. And I go to a worship song and my kids might go at first, you know, and that's including the spiritual children, (laughs) especially like when we're in a van on, you know, on the way to Myrtle Beach or something like, oh, do we have to listen to this again? I would rather fill your your mind and your heart with music that's going to honor God rather than music that's not going to honor him. So learning life as worship means starting to set my heart that way. And then what I do then is then that moves also into obedience, learning how to worship him with my actions, worship him with my thoughts, worship him with, with my, my, my attitude, my job, my whatever. Learning how to live my life out as worship starts with me having a worshipful heart and a worshipful disposition. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so that to me as an old, old, old man, as you called me, <laughs> very, very old, that's the parenting guide that I'm sort of thinking through and following. And part of that is because I know what a disciple is supposed to look like, and I, and I want to be that disciple. So then the goal is then, okay, how am I passing this on to other people so they can see it as well and live it out? Right. Yeah. So just to clarify this, in case this is new to people, what the DDP, the six were love God and his word, yep. love others, yep. 
life that's dependent on prayer. Yep. Life that's dependent on the Holy Spirit. Yep. A life that bears fruit. Yeah. And a life of worship. That's it. Yep. And you'll see it on stuff all over here. <laughs> You're going to see it on the the pre-roll video that goes up for church. It's it's on a sign. There's a sign in our church that has it. It, we, it is something we talk about more often than you realize. It, it Usually one of the six elements of the DDP ends up in a sermon. Mm-hmm. It's just there. You just didn't notice it's there. Yeah. But people come to me and they go, man, that, just, that was just really, that was a hard hitting sermon that really helped me think through prayer. And I'm like, yeah, because we framed it with the DDP. Okay, fine. So it's not an end all be all, but it's a helpful guide for us to start thinking this through and, and processing it. And, I, and what I love about like working with young guys like you, and there have been others that I've worked with as well, they go, this is so helpful. It starts to frame it. And I go, mm-hmm. there's nothing special about it. It's we, we asked the question, a group of old past, pastors and myself, we were all sitting in a room going, what does Jesus model for us? Mm-hmm. And some of them create, you know, created cutesy little phrases that, you know, <laughs> their their five or six that they use for their DDP is basically just a cuter way of saying what I'm saying. But to me, I was just like, I'm just going to keep it real basic. It's yeah. just love God and His Word, love others. It's dependence on prayer, dependence on the Spirit, a life that bears fruit, and a life that uh, worships. Those things, if you just start to do those things, you're going to be following what Jesus is modeling for you and doing it. Right. And it shouldn't be a stressful thing because it's not like it's a list of 58 and a half things that you have to hit. Right. But six things, Perfect. you're not going to be good at all of them. Take one. Let's work on it. Sure. All right. Yeah. It's a constant process. It's a whole life. Process. Yeah. You have an entire life. Jesus did it perfectly because he's Jesus. Right. You were going <laughs> to do it imperfectly, but get in, get in the game and let's go. Mm-hmm. All right. So what are some of the things, you know, I, the question that we get a lot is what do pastors really do? Well, we work one day a week and we work half a day. So you, as a as a blossoming young pastor, as someone who is stepping into the role, who I think has tremendous promise and a lot of opportunity, and I'm so excited to see what you become, it, you know, watching you move from, from middle school to high school now, and then from high school into, you know, sc- school school, right, college, mm-hmm. seminary, and then now having the last year and a half with you and then looking forward to what the future is going to look like. What are some of the things you're noticing that pastors think through? What are some of the things that pastors do? What defines a pastor for you? And I'm opening that up. It's a can of worms. You can go anywhere you want to go with it. You know, if your word is they're hypocrites, that's sad. I hope that's not true. But what are some of the things that you're noticing pastors are? What do they think through? What do they do? Yeah. Um, Cause this is a different, um, relationship in the sense, and I'm not sure everyone knows this, but in some ways you have been a spiritual parent for me for years now. Yeah. And that's cool, but scary. <laughs> <laughs> I know you saw everything from my leg going through the wall of an office Correct. in early high school. So, And, and sitting with you on a hill in Guatemala <laughs> right. talking about Bible school. Right. I mean, we've had some really cool conversations and some neat moments together. So yeah, keep going. Yeah. So there's certain things I've been thinking through, even as we talked about what does pastoring look like years ago um and they're specifically i mean there's no better place to look than god's word <laughs> it's a good place great place to structure uh, your thinking but there there's specific verses um that i repeatedly go back to as a reminder of what a pastor is as a reminder even not just as a pastor but how in some sense every follower of jesus should live their life but there's some things given uh, specific to those mm-hmm. in some sort of teaching shepherding role that are helpful so and feel 
feel free to jump in at any point <laughs> if, if you have verses too that are important to you. But just part of what was in this sermon from First mm. Timothy, the set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. We have plenty of stories of pastors who are absolute turd blossoms. Yes. Who blew everything to pieces yep. and did not set the example the way they should. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Paul here writing to Timothy, a young pastor going, hey, do this, do this, do this, set the example. Um, it, there's, a, there's a high expectation there. And we can't do it ourselves. Right. Which is something we've said repeatedly in the sermon series. You are not going to parent by yourself. You need to rely completely on God. Let him lead you and guide you. Yeah. I think humility being one of those things that defines a pastor. I wouldn't necessarily hire someone to be a pastor if they weren't exhibiting humility. Mm-hmm. Which is something I don't see in every follower of Jesus, but I would not accept it on our, our team if that person was not humble. Mm. So, yeah, I think that's a big one. What else you got? First um, Peter 5, um, Peter is writing to some of the, I believe it's the elders in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, but he says, this is verses 2 and two through 4 of First Peter 5. Just He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight and not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. It's this idea, even as we're talking through parenting, we have a perfect parent, the chief shepherd. It's Jesus. Um, But Peter here, he jumps back and forth between these things. And again, we know people who sometimes lean in some of these. There's, okay, they've made moves for shameful gain, or they're domineering. They're just jerks in in the way they lead. or, or, yeah, or, or they're under some sort of compulsion, some ulterior motive for the way they pastor, which is sad, but it's, it's the line to walk. Yeah. And this is where I've had really good mentors and really good people in my life that have not let me down in this regard. And then they've made me so convicted to not be those things. Mm-hmm. So... I love reading that. That This passage always strikes my heart and makes me go, as a pastor, am I really doing these things? And, you know, all joking aside, and, and we all joke with each other about various things, and, you know, some of the things people joke about are, you know, you're really arrogant or whatever. <laughs> uh, and that's not just with me, with any pastor. You know, there's this sort of sense of, you might say, well, yeah, I've had an amazing experience to do this. And they're like, well, you're full, full of yourself. When he's saying this, there are so many pastors that need to read this passage and just go sit on a hill for mm-hmm. 40 days and meditate on it and, and realize they've they've believed the wrong hype about mm-hmm. themselves and they've pushed more than they should. There's, there's podcasts, there are myriads of podcasts <laughs> about this very topic. And as a pastor, I feel so convicted to, first of all, it's a huge responsibility to shepherd the flock, especially the flock of God that shepherded you when you were in high school. And that's my situation. And mm-hmm. it's and in many ways, it's your situation now, which is kind of strange yeah. and weird. Uh, but my job is not to more force people to do things, but to guide people without compulsion to show them what it looks like and not daring, domineering over them and showing them what to do. 
And that's true every day of the week. So I think, you know, the joke of we only work one day, the rest of the week, one of the questions that usually gets asked me, like, what do you do the rest of the week? It, it could be meetings to, to, for an initiative that we're trying to accomplish. It could be just getting every, all the staff on the same page. It could be sitting and talking with a staff member who's going through a really rough time right now, trying to think through what they're going to do. It could be meeting with a young guy like you saying, hey, you want to think about this? You want to do this? You want to do this? Uh, I don't get as much time to do all the things I want to do as I wish I could every week. Um, you know, obviously it's sermon prep. Obviously it's, it's spending some time thinking through how are we going to operate this Sunday service and how are we going to do that? And then it's just the day-to-day tasks that go along with that. And when I read this passage, we are doing all this because when the chief shepherd appears, we want to be found in doing things correctly and in a way that honors him. So what we do, the reason why Bo puts in the time that he puts in for music is he wants to honor God with that element of his life as best he possibly can. I know you do the same. Mm-hmm. You're working with children. You're doing a bunch of behind-the-scenes stuff, especially for the Winnebago campus right now. Like there's so much that you are doing and so much that other people are doing. And the, the idea here is that we are so set on doing things the way he wants us to do them that we honor him with not just Sunday morning, but with every part of our life. And I, I wish everybody kind of took that mentality and put it in their own life. Mm-hmm. All right, what, are, what else you got? Yeah, there's that element. And a lot of people, that's the first thing they think of when they think pastor, some sort of teaching, preaching, which is true. That's part of what we do. So James 3.1 just drops this doozy of a line just saying, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And that's heavy. (laughs) It's not an easy thing to stomach and to think about. It's a huge responsibility. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's why your hair turns gray. (laughs) I'm looking forward to that in you uh, as time goes on here. Uh, Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. It's huge. It's huge. It's why so many guys quit. Mm-hmm. It's why so many guys fail because they give up on, on following Jesus. They give up on themselves and they just stop doing it because it's a tremendous responsibility. But I also want to push back on the pastors who are whining about how much of a responsibility it is. You knew what you were getting into. Step mm-hmm. up to the plate. Be the man God called you to be. Serve your wife well. Serve your family well. Serve your church family well. They're not always going to treat you well. I don't know if you noticed, Jesus wasn't always treated well by the people who should have treated him well. You are you are responsible for what you're doing. Do it well. And the only person that matters is, is the audience of one that you're serving, right? Mm-hmm. There's, there's a day coming when you're going to stand before him and you want to do so in a way that, that you can say, I've, I've done what you've asked me to do. And he'll respond, well done, good and faithful servant. And a lot of us lose track of that and we, we got to not do that. Mm-hmm. Anything yeah. else? Yeah, one last one which is just as heavy um, from Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Just just a phrase in, from the middle of it. It's the idea that leaders are keeping watch over your souls as people who will have to give an account. Mm. And this is there's an immense weight to that, knowing the people we're teaching, leading, you have to give an account for them in the end. So not just this one, but all these ones. These are verses I try and come back to regularly, if not weekly, going, don't forget this. <laughs> you have to keep this in mind. So, yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's good. It's heavy. It's a good way to end this this episode. I think when we think about parenting, we're always thinking about it with just our own kids, but it's it's so much more beyond that. Mm-hmm. The people you're dealing with every single day. 